Scripture reading from Romans 4. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During this season, we're looking at traditional Lenten passages from the lectionary, and these passages talk to us about uh, pursuing spiritual renewal and restoration with the God. In, with God. In this particular passage, the Apostle Paul is talking about what it means to have faith in God. The, the main theme here is faith. And this is a fairly technical passage. There's not really time to break down everything that's, that's going on here. But just to explore this topic of faith with you from this, I want to touch today on three ideas. I want to talk about, first, the necessity of faith, the necessity of faith, then secondly, the nature of faith. And then thirdly, I want to talk about the promise that God makes to those who place their faith in his son. So faith's necessity, its nature, and then the promise of God. Now, by, by the necessity of faith, what I mean is faith really is not optional for us. What, in other words, you, you will live by faith. There's no way around it. Every, everyone does. Everyone, listen, whether you're religious or not, whether you're Christian or not, spiritual or not, um, everyone has faith. Everyone trusts something. Now, to give you the context, up to this point in the book of Romans, the apostle has been making the point that all human beings are broken and sinful and guilty. We all are. We, we all are, um, we are all selfish. 
least on occasion, right? We're all cowardly. We are all dishonest. We all, we all frequently find ourselves controlled by um, baser impulses, right? The, the way Paul puts this in, in chapter 3, verse 23, he says, we all fall short. I love the way he phrases it. He says, we all fall short of the glory of God. Now, I, I know... There are some people who want to divide the entire world into, you know, two groups of people. There's, there's good people and there are bad people, right? The apostle says no, no. There, there, there's not good people and bad people. There's just us, right? There's just broken people. All of us are sinful and broken and rebellious, and we all stand guilty before our Creator, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the uh, Nobel Prize winner for literature, he, he once wrote this. He said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. In, in other words, all of us at heart are broken, just di divided into broken in half, by our sin. And the big question explored in Romans is, what do we do about that? What do we do about this brokenness and sinfulness in us? And, and Paul, the apostle, his contention is that there really are two and only two approaches to this problem that people can take. Either we can trust God and the promises that he makes to us in the gospel, or we can, verse 14, depend on the law. He, he talks there about those who depend on the law, or you could translate that, those who are of the law. That's our choice. We can trust the gospel, trust God, or depend on the law. Now, in the immediate context here, uh, to depend on the law meant to place your hope for righteousness in your ability to, to adhere to the laws that were given excuse me, to Moses in the Old Testament. It was about keeping the Mosaic law. Excuse me. Um, in the immediate context, it's, it's about keeping the laws of Moses. But when you think of this as sort of a, a broader theological concept, to depend on the law, it means whenever we trust in ourself, whenever we trust in our own effort, our own niceness, our own goodness, to be that which makes us to be acceptable as people. And, and, and you know, we do this in different, different ways. There are some people today who find their righteousness in their political affiliation. In other words, they think what makes me a good person is that I'm, I'm a member of the correct political party, not the bad one, right? That's what makes me a good person. Other people will, will, will place their trust for, for their righteousness in their family. What will make me a good person is if my children grow up to be happy and successful. That will prove I'm a good father, a good mother. No pressure, kids, all right? But my entire standing in the universe depends on you, right? So we'll, we'll trust in something like that. There's different ways that we might trust in um, our accomplishments, our niceness, our goodness, our affiliation, to prove that we're okay. But the point that, that Paul would make is, listen, whether you're trusting God, the promises he makes in the gospel, or you're trusting yourself in one of these other ways, either way, you are trusting. 
Either way, you, either way, you are exerting faith. You know, everyone has faith. Now, sometimes you'll run into this, this strange idea that, you know, Christians, Christians are people who live by faith. The rest of us, we just live. You know, they live by faith and we just live. That really doesn't make sense. We all live by faith. And the question that this passage presents is, what is your faith in? What are you trusting in? To use Paul's vocabulary, are you depending on the law or are you believing the promise? To restate that, are you trusting yourself or are you trusting God? But either way, faith is not optional. It's, it's, uh, it's unavoidable, right? It's necessary. John Lennox, professor of mathematics at Oxford University, uh, once said this. He said, everyone, everyone without exception is a person of faith. They have basic faith commitments. They believe certain things. So that's the necessity of faith. You can't get around it. You can't, <laughs> you can't go through life as a human without trusting, placing your basic trust somewhere. Now, second point, what is the nature of faith? And here's, here's what I mean. When the Bible calls us to place our faith in God, what exactly are we being called to do? What is the nature of faith? What does what is, what is God want us to do when we're called to faith? Are we supposed to feel something? Are, are, are we supposed to do something? Maybe there are special words you have to say. Is that what it, what it means? And, and what if you have doubts? What if you have questions? If, if you're struggling with doubts, can you still be said to have faith in God? What does it mean? What does it mean to place your faith in the promises of God? Well, to answer, to answer that question, the apostle here, he looks at the example of someone from the Old Testament. He looks at the example of Abraham. You, you may know the story of Abraham. You can read his story in the book of Genesis. When, when God called Abraham to follow the Lord, God promised that Abraham would be, verse 17, the father of many nations. This was the promise God made to Abraham. He, he promised that Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they would one day have so many descendants that would come from their lineage that, in fact, the entire world would be blessed through them. Now, the problem was Abraham was a very old man. His wife, Sarah, was a very old woman. They had struggled through their entire marriage with infertility. I mean, even when they were young, right when they were married, they'd never been able to conceive a child together. And, and yet, in spite of this problem, when Abraham heard the promise, he believed. He believed. Now, what does that mean? Abraham believed. It does not mean that he was instantly filled with confident bravado that he just had these uncontrollable overwhelming feelings of assurance god is going to do this no that's not faith faith is not primarily an emotional experience verse 18 says against all hope abraham in hope believed i just love that phrase it's, it, it just grabs my imagination against hope he hoped in, in other words it just gives the sense that um there was some kind of emotional struggle going on in, in Abraham's life. He just, he felt really, really hopeless. 
But he decided to keep hoping. Verse 20 says that Abraham was strengthened in his faith. If he was strengthened in his faith, then there must have been a point in his story where his faith was very, very weak, and it became stronger. But, but the point is, his faith was not just these confident feelings of bravado. Yes, I have no doubt at all. That's not what's being described here. So faith, faith is not an emotional experience. Also, you could say from this passage, faith does not mean, to have faith in God does not mean that you just turn off your brain, stop thinking, take a blind leap into the dark. That's, that's not what Abraham did. He didn't stop thinking. Verse, look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Now, the word that is translated faced the fact is a purely intellectual word. It, it means to consider, to observe, to perceive, to understand. It means to fix one's mind upon. Abraham faced the facts. He thought, he reasoned. He didn't turn off his intellect in order to be a believer. So what is the nature of faith? What does it mean to have faith? It's not emotional fervor, right? It's, it's not intellectual suicide. So what does it mean? Well, essentially the Bible would say faith means trust. It means trust. You, you, uh, you may have questions, you may have doubts, you may have struggles, you may have things that you're trying to work out, but you make a decision. I'm going to place my trust in God. That's faith. In, in that regard, uh, faith, trusting in God, is a very personal interaction. You're, when, when you're trusting in God, you are trusting a person. You'll notice in verse 24, it's talking about Christians. Verse 24, Christians are not described as those who believe a particular doctrine, right? No, listen, faith is far more personal than that. Guys, we don't trust a doctrine. We trust a person. So verse 24 says, Christians are described as those who what? Those who believe in Him. Those who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So, so um, to put your faith in God is to place your trust in a person. One author named John Stott commenting on this passage, um, he wrote this. He said, although faith goes beyond reason, Faith always has a firmly rational basis. Faith is believing or trusting a person, and its reasonableness depends on the re reliability of the person being trusted. It's always reasonable to trust the trustworthy. And there's no one more trustworthy than God, as Abraham knew. And as we are privileged to know more confidently than Abraham did because we live after the death and resurrection of Jesus through which God has fully disclosed his dependability. He's just saying we, we've seen that God sent Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus raised. There's historical evidence for that. And we, we, we look at that and say the God who did this is trustworthy. 
not turning off my mind to trust him. Stott goes on to say this, faith is not burying our heads in the sand or working ourselves up to believe that which we know is not true or even whistling in the dark to keep our spirits up. On the contrary, he says, faith is reasoning trust. So, so here's what faith is. We look at our world, we look at our circumstances, we look at God's promise, we say, I am going to trust Him. That's faith. Now, my third point, what, it, what promise does God make to those who place their trust in His Son? Um, it, well, we read here that when Abraham believed God, verse 22 says, it was credited to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. Another way to, to say that is that when Abraham trusted God, God imputed righteousness to Abraham. He counted Abraham as righteous. Now, we, we need to understand what's being said here. When, when Abraham believed the promise of God, Abraham was still messed up. He was still broken. He was still sinful, just like you are, just like I am. And what's worse, he was still years away from the birth of his son. In other words, when he trusted God, nothing in Abraham's condition, his exterior condition or even his internal condition, when he trusted God, nothing had changed. But when, when Abraham placed his trust in God, it, listen, in that quiet moment of belief, God pronounced something over Abraham. God basically said, Abraham, I see you as righteous now. Maybe you don't feel like anything in your life has changed, but I see you differently now. I see you as complete. I see you as whole. Abraham, I see no deficiencies in you. I see no stains upon you. I see you as acceptable, righteous in my eyes. In fact, we saw that in the Old Testament reading. God changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many. God started calling him father of many, father of many. God, just every time he saw him, hey, father of many. Long before he had a son, God began to declare him to be what Abraham was not yet. God pronounced him righteous. And guys, listen, this, this is what God does for us when we place our trust in Christ, in God's Son. Verse 23 and 24 says, the words, it was credited to him, were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. When we, when we place our trust in the promise of Jesus Christ, God credits righteousness to us too. God says, I see you differently now. Maybe you don't feel like anything's changed. Maybe no one else around you notices any change. But when I look at you, I see you differently. I see you as united with Christ. I see you as one with Jesus. And God says, when I see you that way, that means that all the righteousness of Christ, I see that when I look at you. Verse 25 says Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life 
for our justification. Justification is a legal term. It's talking about God declaring you in Christ now to be acceptable and pure and righteous in his eyes. I, I saw recently an article in uh, Psychology Today written by a therapist. She was writing about a man named Mike who came to her for counseling, and this is what she writes about Mike. She said, Mike believed he had a good life and felt lucky for all the things he had. He was married to a loving wife and had a good job, owned a nice house, and had three healthy kids. Despite all his good fortune, Mike could not shake the nagging feeling that he was not enough. I should be more successful, he said. I should make more money, he said. I should be where my boss is. I, I should have a graduate degree. I should have a bigger house. I should have more friends. This therapist writes, these were some of the shoulds that plagued Mike on a daily basis. Now let me ask you to imagine. Imagine what do you think it would do for a man like Mike to have the creator of the universe stand over him and say, Mike, I declare that because of what Jesus did in your place and in, by virtue of your faith in him, I declare, Mike, you are complete. You are enough. You are acceptable. You are righteous. You are beautiful. You are dignified in my eyes. Guys, that's what God does for us when we simply trust His Son, He declares us acceptable in His eyes. And guys, here's the thing. When God declares something to be, it is so. And verse 17 says that God calls into being things that were not. When God declares something, that's what it is. And so when you place your trust in Christ and God says, when I look at you, I see Jesus. I see his righteousness. What God says about you, that's who you are. Amen? There's this old, uh, one of those old silent movies from way back in the day, Charlie Chaplin. It's a movie called The Pilgrim. And in this movie, Charlie Chaplin is a convict who escapes from prison. He's wandering around in the, in the forest at the banks of some, some body of water, some lake, and he knows he's going to be caught. There's a manhunt out for him, and he knows they'll catch him because he's wearing the prison clothing, you know, the old clothes with the stripes, and he's like, oh, they're going to catch me. They'll see me. They'll know me. And as he's wandering through the forest, under some bushes, he finds this beautiful set of men's clothing. So he takes off his prison clothes. He clothes himself in this nice suit. What he doesn't realize is that there was a priest who was out for a day hike. The priest decided to go skinny dipping. He hid his clothing under the bushes, and that's what the clothing is. So for the rest of the movie, Charlie Chaplin, this escaped convict, he's dressed like a priest. He doesn't realize it, but he's dressed like a priest. And everyone who sees him sees him differently now. Now, 
It's a humorous movie, all kinds of crazy hijinks that take place. But by the, by the end of the movie, he actually changes. He's, he's in a church. He's preaching the Bible to people. He becomes an upright citizen. And, they, and they, when they discover, they actually let him go because, you know what, he's changed. But here's the point. In the movie, long before he changes, he is seen as different now. That's what God does for you when you come to Christ. Some people would say when you come to Christ, God clothes you, not with the jacket of a priest. He clothes you with the very righteousness of his son. Nothing may have changed in you yet, but you've trusted him. And God says, when I look at you, I don't see an escaped convict. I see Jesus. I see his righteousness. John, John Calvin, the reformer, said that faith Faith is like an empty, open hand stretched out toward God with nothing to offer and everything to receive. That's faith, simply trusting the promise. Verse 16 says, The promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. When we put, put our trust in Christ, it says, Abraham is the father of us all. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would grant us faith to trust your promises, that you would open our eyes to ways that we're trusting in false things, that we would see that you offer us in Jesus fullness of life and forgiveness and dignity and joy, all of the righteousness of your Son, that we would stretch out our hand, that we would receive, that we would rejoice for who we are in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.